But first, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what comes to your mind when you think of true friendship? Think of a good friend, uh, uh, a true friend. Uh, what are the ingredients or what are the, uh, the marks, maybe, of a good or a true, real friend? I think for many of us, uh, maybe just me personally, but I think for a lot of us, a lot of our good friendships were probably like in elementary school or in high school. We think of those days back with those friends doing those things, right? Uh, at least for me, there were many memorable friendships and memories in high school. Uh, funny stories, good memories, uh, long nights, weird things you did, right? Uh, adventures, relationships, difficulties, all those things. Uh, but yet for me, and maybe for you at the same time, uh, though I had uh, close friendships at those times, I would say looking back that biblically those probably weren't biblical good friendships, uh, they were nice friends, they were very helpful and very kind, we had good, we had good times, but they weren't profoundly uh, biblical or Christ-centered. Uh, many of our good friends um, can often come without Christ in them, right? They're good friends, but there's no Christ in them. That's how it was for me. Uh, meaning, therefore, that the marks of what constitutes a true friendship is one who is true to Christ. That's what a true friend is, that's, that's who they have in them, and that's who they are. Again, uh, many of my friends in high school, the vast majority uh, that I would hang out with very regularly, whether, whether during practice or at school or on the weekends, uh, never confronted me about my sin, never encouraged me to pray more, never really talked about Bible study or about what, you're, what we're reading, um, about the things of the gospel, never really talked about those things. Um, they didn't really convict me to be more godlike. You know, they were nice, certainly, but none of those things. Uh, and yet, these friendships are important. If you know who um, J.R.R. Tolkien is, he's, the, he's the, uh, the writer of The Lord of the Rings. Well, him and C.S. Lewis were extremely good friends, uh, so much so that their uh, discussions, that while J.R.R. Tolkien was a believer, uh, his discussions with his friend uh, C.S. Lewis was one of the reasons why Lewis became a believer. They talked about literature and God and mythology, and Lewis began to realize that he called Jesus is the true myth. So he, he really is the Christ. And because of their friendship, C.S. Lewis became a believer. And personally for me, many of my friends in high school and after the years following uh, were Christians only by profession of mouth or maybe family tradition or just because we lived in um, Southern Illinois and you just go to church because you're supposed to. Uh, as I said, there was little gospel encouragement, little prayer, little Bible time together. Frankly, most of my friendships didn't have those things. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of, one of my very, very close friends uh, who was going to be in our wedding, uh, Kelly and I, uh, he was going to be one of uh, my groomsmen and his girlfriend was going to do, his wife now, was going to do our cake. Um, I confronted again about the gospel and about becoming a Christian. And he dropped out of our wedding, which means I lost a groomsman and a cake, I believe about six weeks before the wedding. Because all of a sudden now, oh, Jesus is a real thing to Kale again. So that dissolved the friendship. However, in God's providence, some of the best friends I've ever had and stay in contact with now are those who love Jesus more than they love me. I could honestly say that. So two questions. One, do you have those friends? And perhaps more importantly, are you that friend? If you know the story of Jonathan and David in 1 Samuel 18, they were 
knit together, the Bible says, as like one soul, right? They were just so close uh, that they were almost one person, right? Uh, Augustine said that uh, friendship is one soul dwelling in two bodies. So it's, this, it's, it's like they're the same person. And as a believer, it is those friends, my wife included, or the men who've encouraged me, who've knit my heart to Christ more, who have stood the test of time. So my best friends now, including my wife, are the ones that remind me of who Christ is and say, Kale, you're not, that's not right. Hey, brother, that's good. Hey, Kale, that's good. Hey, that's not good. Hey, can I pray for you? Those are the best friends I've ever had. So Christian friendship then exceeds anything that exists between unbelievers, right? Because as a Christian, we have the same authority, the same goal, the same desires, the same end, the same thoughts, the same problems, the same desires, right? The same Christ. Uh, I, I read this week in a book about ministers, but he has a quote about being friends. Richard Baxter says this, that friendship must be cemented by piety, by holiness. Pretend not to love them if you favor their sins. If you would be their best friends, help them against their worst enemies. So in doing so, Paul's going to show us, by describing Timothy's life, he's going to show us three marks of what it looks like to be a faithful friend. So Paul's going to just describe Timothy. We're going to say, whoa, that's a good friend. That's exactly what we should be like. Let me give you a three-sentence reminder of who Timothy is. Uh, he was converted before he met Paul in Acts 16. Uh, if, you, if you read 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Timothy had believing, a believing mother, it looks like, and a grandmother, and came to faith. We don't know when, but he did. Uh, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, his co-worker, his fellow slave, his brother. And Timothy accompanied Paul everywhere he went. Uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome. So they were always together. He was involved in writing with Paul. First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, Colossians, and Philippians. What he wrote, we don't. I don't think he actually wrote anything, but he was involved in the writing. If you look just at Philippians chapter one, it says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. So Paul's saying, "Hey, me and Timothy here are entreating you, Philippians, right?" So they were close friends. With that being said, Paul's going to describe Timothy with three descriptions of a faithful friend. I think we should take to heart. Number one, faithful friends have a genuine care. He shows that in two ways. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. I hope in Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. He hopes in the Lord. In verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord. So Paul is saying, if the Lord wills, I'm trusting that he will. I'm trusting this. I'm going to send Timothy to you soon. I'm going to send Timothy. Because remember, Paul is in prison. So the depth of Timothy's friendship cannot be lost if you're in Philippi. Because this is not a... A walk down the street. Rome's not next door to Philippi. Rome is about 800 miles from Philippi. So that means if Timothy's going to come, he has to dedicate about 800 miles worth of time, of effort, of money, of dedication. I mean, risking his life maybe at sea, right? Get found out and maybe being chased. I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is not a little, this is not a Walmart trip. This is a big trip. This is dangerous. This is risky, right? Although Walmart could be very risky itself. It's no easy journey right? He has to make an effort. Timothy goes further than an extra mile. He goes on a mission. So Christians must be marked then by longevity, both in our faithfulness to the Lord and in our devotion to one another. But what does this great devotion come from? Why was Timothy so saying, you know what? I'll go 800 miles for these guys. I'll, I'll go that far. What was that? 
Well, friends, no Christian can spend more than what Christ has spent for us. There is no greater stretch from creator to being a creature. There's no greater stretch from heaven to earth. 800 miles is nothing compared to Christ's descent to the earth. And friends, you know John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus considers his believers, those who trust him, his friends. Jesus didn't shy away from zeal, right? He was consumed with zeal for his father's house. Therefore, he pursued us, right? That's, that's the rhythm. So friends, God loves sinners. I think we all know John three sixteen. Remember what it means. For God so loved the world, meaning God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because, because of our sins against God, in mercy he sends not the sword, but God sends his son. Jesus devoted himself to his father's will, to the point of death, and our place for our sins. Jesus, was, he died, he was buried, he went that far for us, right? Bore our sins on his body on the tree and rose on the third day because of our devotion to our sin. That's why Christ came for us. So in Christ, if we trust in Christ, God devotes all that he is, Father, Son, Spirit, all of him, working for our good if we would trust in Christ. That's devotion. That's the friendship, right? God gives all of himself to us if we would just trust. Romans 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So Jesus' devotion to us should mark our devotion to each other. Maybe you've heard the phrase, oh yeah, that guy just always goes the extra mile. You guys know that phrase? Or let's go the extra mile for these people, right? You're probably familiar with that. Actually, it comes from the Bible. No shocker there that we like to have good things from the Bible. It comes from Matthew chapter 5 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in verse 41, chapter 5, Jesus says this, and you know this phrase. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two, or go with him the extra mile, right? So Jesus calls us to go two. What that means is in Roman law, there was a law that if you're a Roman soldier, you had the right to look on any citizen and say, hey, carry my stuff for me. Because they're under Roman rule, if you're a citizen, you don't want to get struck down. You're going to, I'm going to carry your backpack, I guess, right? I'll carry all your stuff and I'll walk with you, right? You're supposed to go with them a mile. And consider this, were the Romans and the Jews, were they pretty good colleagues? No, it was literally oppressive, right? It was enslavement. It was, no, we're going to destroy and conquer your land and we'll just be here. So therefore, carry our backpacks. I mean, that's pretty severe. And Jesus says, don't just go one, which, which you're required to, go an extra, go two miles, right? So brothers, brothers, would you carry the burden of your brother here? I think all of us would say that we would. But the question is, have you asked them if you could? Our culture and our nature is not to get involved in other people's business, Right? Whose business is that? Well, it's Nunya. Nunya what? Nunya business. Get out, right? That's what we think. But the scriptures call us to actually be intimately involved with our brothers so much that we know their burdens and would say, brother, can I help you carry that? Can I help you? Therefore, it requires a great dedication to Christ to be greatly devoted to our friends. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. 
So this calls into, into question then not just the condition of our brothers, but the condition of your soul. As a believer, are you able to be spiritually capable of handling the spiritual burdens of another? Your spiritual life then must be tended, not just for yourself, but for the sake of other people. Have you considered that? Now, your Christianity is to be personal to you, but it's not meant to remain private. Is your faith in Christ being filled to pour out? That's what God calls us to do. Second, the second way in this is very brief, is a genuine faith. So we see that Timothy has a great devotion, now a genuine faith. Look at verse 20. Look at Paul. Look how Paul describes Timothy. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Consider the faith of Timothy. Um, when we apply for a job, you put on re- references so they'll say, oh yeah, so-and-so, the company says, he's, he's a good worker. Well, you have Paul on Timothy's resume. And if Paul says he's worthy of consideration, I think I would probably consider Timothy very worthy to be looked at. If Paul's bragging about me, I would probably take notice of him too. Timothy wants nothing to do with a mediocre average Christian life. He will not be a cardboard cutout. He doesn't have a nominal faith. He has a notable faith. Look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaks of Timothy saying, I have nobody like him. I can't come, but if I send Timothy, you'll know exactly how you should live. It's a pretty profound person. Timothy is that worthy of looking at. So friends, do you desire to be of honorable use in the kingdom or to just be nominal? You see, genuine care requires, as Paul says here, genuine care requires precious time. Timothy genuinely cared for the Philippians, for their spiritual good. So how did Timothy have a standout faith? What's ironic about the Christian life is the way your faith stands out is not by puffing out your chest. Ironically, it's the exact opposite, right? It's not by looking over your shoulder. It's by looking to other people. Isn't that weird how that works? A mature faith doesn't desire to be seen. Rather, it's forgotten as it sees to the good of others. The original word here for genuine or from authentic faith comes from the idea of children being born from a legitimate marriage. Oh, those are genuine children from that family. They're naturally born, right? They're lawfully begotten. They're true to their origin. So therefore, Timothy's faith, his concern, was not counterfeit. It was genuine. It was real. He truly cared for their welfare. And we heard this morning, Romans chapter 12, Paul says to let your love be genuine, not a painted on love like a picture, but coming from the heart of faith. Secondly, faithful friends have the interests of Christ. Look at verse 21. So he has genuine care, right? He, he comes all the way. And faithful friends now have the interests of Christ. Look at verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now there are two kinds of seeking in this. Do you see that? There's two things that you're seeking. One you shouldn't, one you should. The first thing you should not seek is what Paul says here. First, what what do genuine friends not seek? Well, look at verse 21. They all. Well, who's the all? So Paul, well, they all. Well, all, Paul must be Southern. Well, y'all, y'all don't do this. They don't do that. They all don't. Well, look at chapter one where Paul refers in verse 15 to those who would preach Christ from envy. So these are actual believers. They're not enemies. They're believers, but they're very selfish. And Paul's saying all of them, they're nothing like Timothy. They all seek their own interests. Timothy's not doing that. They all go for selfish ambition, Paul says in verse 15. 
Timothy does not do that. The rest of the Christians were selfish. They were kept watch on their own name, their own checkbook, their own schedule, their own plans, their own desires. So friends, it was not due to their lack of ability, but their lack of affection, or rather their wrongly ordered affection. So they had affection, they just weren't for the Philippians, right? They're bent in on themselves. And this is the air that we breathe, isn't it? We live in a world that is that loves self. I think I harp on this all the time because this is my problem too. We love ourselves. The love of self. We are by nature prone to protect, defend, justify, and excuse ourselves no matter the cost because it's not me, it's you, right? Biblically though, the first command to follow Christ is to deny your what? Self, right? Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me, right? Or as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I, self, right, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So our great obstacle in life, my great obstacle in life, to be pleasing to Christ, to serve my neighbor, to love my brother, to be faithful in all my callings in life as a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend, a believer. It's not other things. My greatest obstacle is myself. Lately on my route, I've been listening to an audiobook, and it's an older, it's an old edition of Homer's Odyssey. You probably read it in school. Uh, and it's like, they have like different voices acting the parts. It's very entertaining. And in Homer's Odyssey, you hear of the famous Trojan horse, right? Not the computer virus. That was a little prior to the computers. But a, a large wooden horse that supposedly, I don't know if it's real or not, but supposedly a large wooden horse was constructed, right, as a fake offering to the god Athena. It's put outside the city of Troy after years of war, and we cannot conquer these guys. How do we get in? Well, they construct this huge wooden horse, and all the Greeks hide inside the horse, and the Troy people go, hey, a cool offering. They bring it in, and of course, they lock the gate and out jump the Greeks, and they just wipe out the city, right? Well, the city of Troy was destroyed from within, right? It is the love of self within us that will destroy, right? The love of self is what casts Satan out of heaven. And we can be sure that our love of self will dash our friendships to the ground. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Love himself, right? I like money, so I'm going to destroy, right? The essence of sin, then, is self-love. Self-worship, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says, In the last days, men will be lovers of self. So brothers, if we have self high on our list, we will always fail to love our neighbors. Our friendships will dissolve if we seek our own interests. So Paul says, everyone else I know acts this way. I mean, that's a profound statement, right? Every Christian I've ever met, Paul, saying in Philippi, they, in Rome, they, they all act this way towards you, Philippians. But not Timothy. So therefore, we shouldn't seek self. What should we do? Look what Paul says. So don't seek your own interests. Verse 21. They all seek their own interests. But not those of Jesus Christ. So therefore, what you should not seek is your own interests. Instead, whose interests should you seek? Well, it's very clear. Christ, right? Self-denial is only half the strain of Christian DNA, right? The other half of the helix is pursuing Christ. So deny yourself, seek Christ, right? That's, that's the two halves we must have. We must put off and put on, turn from and turn to, right? You see what Timothy puts first, the interests 
of Christ. That which would please, honor, and delight the Lord is what Timothy wants to do first. So put it very simply, our interests must be Christ's interests or they are Christ's enemies. If our preferences do not match what Christ prefers, we need to repent of them, right? So put it this way. Do your good ideas for your friends line up with what Christ desires most? This must change the way that we think and act and interact with others, right? First, does it please Christ? If it does, then it's the best choice you can make for your brothers, right? This way of thinking burns away the dross we have of misguided thought, right? It undresses what appears to be, well, that was a good idea, and says, no, 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 if it doesn't please Christ, that was a bad idea, right? So don't miss this. The best we can do for others is what primarily pleases Jesus Christ. That's a good friend. If Christ be not pleased, then we have failed, right? So friends, do you live to please Christ? Do we aim to please Christ first in our relationships? If we aim for what glorifies Christ, you always get your neighbor's good. It's never overshot. It's never, ah, I just missed it. It's always for their good, right? So brothers, let me encourage you to pursue the pleasures of Christ. The ways of Christ have stains of blood, but they are full of blessing. Christ's way is more narrow, but is more pleasant. It is uphill, but it is always heavenward. Friends, the closer we are to our shepherd, the more tender you'll feel his care. His rod and his staff will comfort you. His burden is light. His ways are precious. His cross is your crown. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. That's how it should be. So we should fear rather to offend Christ. And if you do so, you will not fear whom you offend. Jesus' everlasting smile will make amends for all of our losses because his love constrains us to love others genuinely. Friends, Psalm 16a is worth putting on a sticky note on your fridge. It says this, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So friends, let us be like John the Baptist. When Jesus was getting really popular, what did John the Baptist do? Just leave me. Don't look at me. Don't look at John the Baptist. Look at Jesus, right? I mean, John, you're, you're losing disciples. Good. Right? Don't come to me. Go to the land. Right? He said this in John 3, verse 30. Speaking of Christ, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's what a faithful friend does. Right? Faithful friends have the interests of Christ. Thirdly and lastly, faithful friends have a proven character. Look at verses 22 and 23. So Paul describes Timothy again as having a a proven worth. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. Paul's thinking, if I can come, I'll come. But if not, I will send Timothy. He He has proven himself. He has proven worth. He has served with Paul in the gospel. 
So Timothy's labors are to serve Christ, right? Timothy knows wherever I'm going, I'm serving Christ. That's where I'm going primarily. And his proven worth in serving the gospel is Paul's model for, yeah, you can trust Timothy because all he cares about is the gospel. So therefore, if he comes to you, it's actually for your good, right? Matthew Henry said it this way, the highest honor of the greatest apostle and the most eminent ministers or pastors is to be the servants of Jesus Christ, not the masters of the churches, but the servants of Christ. Again, look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words that Paul writes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That means slaves right there. They're not masters or leaders or rulers. They are first servants. And that's what Paul says about Timothy. He has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy has shown himself in the gospel and in gospel endeavors to be faithful. Young Timothy is considered useful and helpful in Paul's ministry. So don't miss it. It is those who are first slaves of Christ who are the best servants for Christians, right? It's very simple. Paul calls him as a father to a son, right? He's he's a spiritual son of Paul. He's walked with Paul for years and all these ups and downs, I mean, storms and assaults and attacks, right? He's walked in Paul's shadow, and therefore he best reflects the Apostle Paul's faith. So what does that mean? So he's, he's have a proven character. What does that mean as a friend to have a proven character? Well, I think to be proven, you must have time. It takes time to prove yourself as a faithful friend, which means a faithful Christian friend cannot be microwaved. Just can't be, right? It takes time. A proven worth. It's not next day delivery from Amazon. Those who live out here, it's like five days next day. It's not next day, right? It's proven worth. It's time-tested. Therefore, we must remain faithful to Christ, and it is those who are faithful to Christ who are faithful friends. Do you see that? So when Timothy followed Paul, he signed away his life. He was a living sacrifice, right? I'm going to follow Christ wherever he says. I'll go wherever he goes. That means going with Paul. He knew he signed up for So look at verse 23. Therefore, Paul says, I hope to send him as a reliable, faithful representation of a minister of the gospel, as a slave of Christ. Right? Paul says, if I could send anybody, it would be Timothy. He's the best example I have. Isn't that a stunning way for Paul to talk about Timothy? I mean, the apostle Paul is the greatest Christian to ever live. And Paul says, if I can't come, Timothy is the best thing you can get. That's That's a stunning man, isn't it? Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So friends, let me put it for you this way. There is not a day where you do not represent Jesus Christ. In all your roles, you are a spirit-filled, Christ-indwelt believer. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but companies like to brand things. Did you know that? Yeah, I think we know what brands are, right? Why do they do that? Well, one, they want people to recognize what it is, right? Hey, I know that brand. That's a good whatever, right? Good service, good product. And secondly, as the employee, you must carry yourself in such a way that says, I'm not going to kick dirt on that brand name. If I do something dumb in my job, people think, wow, your company is great. They hire people like you. Unfortunately, they do, right? So the way we, work, the way we live in the world when we're employed is... What do people think of your company by what they think of you, right? So just as companies do that, 
you as a believer have the same marking. 1 Corinthians 6.19, probably a verse I think of, I mean, it has to be daily, weekly if not. It's a very short phrase. You are not your own. You're not. You don't represent Kale. You don't represent your name. You're not your own. You represent Christ. So as a faithful friend, you represent he who is the friend of sinners. In the world, you are first a Christ one. Of all things, you're a Christ one. That's the first thing that you are. As a friend to your brothers here, you are always on the clock, right? Everywhere in life, you can clock out. All right, done with work today. Now I can do whatever I want, right? Well, as a Christian, you are always on the clock. And you have a very, very, very kind master. So therefore, Paul says, I hope to send him. As Paul hopes to send Timothy, friends, the Lord has sent you. Are you aware of that? He sent you to be a friend to your friends. Not just to care for their external, because anybody can do that. Any unbeliever can care for your goods, and you should care for those things. But Christians care for the soul. So we aim for, right? What's their spiritual good? And why is that? Well, if you're anything like me, we're all blind to our own faults. We're all tone deaf to our own tongues, right? Our own sin has color blinded us to what we are actually like. Our personality, our sin proclivities, our habits. So therefore, consider the good news of Christian friends. I've had multiple Christian friends, including my wife, but she won't be an example right now, who have said, Kale, you were kind of stern with your kids. Did you know that? Can I tell you, that's the first time I have ever heard that from a friend of mine. He's preached here before. It was painful, but faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Ow, brother. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Or when my wife reproves me, Kale, you need, your tone was a little bit there. And I always react so perfectly. No laughter? Okay. I don't. What are you talking about? What What tone? The good news of Christian friends, brothers, is that they will always tell you the truth about you because they love the truth of Christ more than you. Do you understand that? They will always be truthful with you. They will always be gentle with you. They will always encourage you. They will confront you. They will pray for you. They will say, remember your first love. Remember Christ, even when it stings. One day, friends, in closing, all of our friends will leave us. And one day we shall leave them. There is coming a day when every friendship will be torn apart by our great enemy, death. And your friends will dwindle away. So what is our hope? Proverbs 18.24 says this, that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's a friend that remains true, more true than a brother. And it is he, the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider that in his chief need on the cross, he was stranded. All his friends left him. He, he suffered and died alone. He had no comforters, known to weep with him, no sympathy, no friends. But because Christ has risen from the dead and ever lives to make intercession for us, friends, you will never lack a friend who will always tell you the truth about you and the truth about the Lord. And it's by faith alone that he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, verse 20 says this, 
Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So consider this, the people you have in your life, you consider friends. Do your friends know this ever-present Christ? And if not, what friendships do you have now that need to have Christ in them? Let's pray.